This podcast is brought to you by The Empowerment Project. Research proves that empowerment self-defense training makes you safer, period. I want you to have a great self-defense toolkit so you can create strong boundaries, speak with confidence, and take up all the space that you deserve in the world. We'll hear stories from survivors and find out what worked for them and why. We'll interview leaders in the field and talk about tips, concepts, and really easy things that you could do to make yourself safer and interrupt the cycle of violence. I've taught self-defense classes for over 30 years, and I promise to teach you everything I know. Ultimately, I'm going to want you to get some in-person training, but a great empowerment self-defense class is more than just the physical skills. The list of things I want to teach you is endless, so let's get to it. My name is Sylvia Smart, and welcome to The Empowerment Project. Hi, listeners. I am so glad you're here with me. Thanks for spending time with me today. I feel like it's time to share a piece of my journey with you. I've alluded to it in the past in this episode or that episode. If I told you all of it, if I told you all the details, we'd be here for a really long time. So I'm going to give you an overview with a couple of examples. It's about the cult-like martial arts system I was involved with for nearly 30 years, the dissolution of this community, and my long slog from denial and confusion into embracing and owning my own power. There are lots of people wrapped up in cults or cult-like organizations. There are cults of personality, cults based on religion, politics, sexual practices, and belief systems of all sorts. And there are folks who are vulnerable to being preyed on by people who are manipulators and narcissists and sociopaths who have a powerful or compelling message, a message we can buy into, one that feels good, like maybe we're making the world a better place. Forget the word cults, even. As humans, we can rationalize all sorts of awful behavior by others, including members of our own family, our partners, our friends and coworkers, people who are abusive, who gaslight us, who manipulate, lie, coerce, and even maybe threaten us. There are people in the world who are really good at pretending to be one way while behaving and acting in a completely different way. One word for these people is sociopaths, but if you think that term is overused, it's okay. Honestly, this problem is pervasive no matter what you call it. All these behaviors, the lying, the grooming, the manipulation, the gaslighting, coercion, can all be really confusing even if you have a strong bullshit meter. This is a personal story about empowerment. It's about me learning to look through what people are saying with their words and to start finally believing what I feel and know to be true. It's also about me looking at the ways that I opted into a system where things were not always as they appeared. I was asked to go against some of my deepest and most core values of honesty, clarity, strength, directness, compassion, and kindness. After all, I really thought that the greater good was that we were making the world a better place. That's what I was told. That's what I believed. 
I allowed others to spin narratives about what was happening and what was or wasn't true. I rationalized what people in positions of power over me were saying and asking me to do, even when it didn't feel right or it was an obvious lie. The payoff was acceptance into a group. I talk about this in my empowerment self-defense classes as a continuum. It starts with denial, fear, shame, and then through bravery and honesty and acceptance of actual reality, which usually comes as a result of lots of hard and painful work, it ultimately lands us squarely at a place where we can stand on our own two feet, grounded in our own power. This is empowerment. I was caught in a web of denial, rationalization, accepting lies as truth, and shrugging away funny feelings. With a lot of help, I found the courage to be honest and to move through the shame and the guilt and the embarrassment and the confusion to a place of clarity and honesty about what was really happening to me, but also to others. And today, I am speaking up and I am living my truth. I feel very vulnerable telling you this story, but empowerment, this journey of empowerment is usually very messy. I want to model this for you. The telling of our success stories takes bravery. It takes deep digging, support, courage, strength, And if you hear anything that's helpful or useful or that you can identify with, then in my book, it's totally worth it. I'm going to take a deep breath. Over the years that I trained martial arts as part of a national and then global community, there were so many lessons for me to learn. And some of them were incredibly fun and amazing, while others were deeply painful and really hard. And ironically, throughout the decades, as I was learning to find my own voice and my courage and my power, these very strengths were being undermined, disputed, put down, dismissed, and demeaned by the very people who had power over me who were teaching me these skills. But to be clear, this is my experience. These are my feelings. I do not claim to speak for anyone else. I'm not going to name names or try to blame anyone else. This is about me and my part. This is about the way that I bought into a martial arts system, which over the years became more and more cult-like, and it's about how I got out. And again, I want to be mindful of our time together, so what I'm sharing here is a few examples. It isn't a complete picture, but it's a good start. I'm going to begin by paraphrasing um, out of one of my daily readers called each day a new beginning. When we don't know who we are, it's easy to compromise ourselves. When we don't know where we stand on an issue, it's easy to be swayed by a forceful voice. Values may be cloudy in our minds, or we may not be aware of them at all. It's then that we are vulnerable to the persuasion of another. We're all familiar with the tiny tug of shame that locates itself in our solar plexus. When we go along, 
When we give in on a personally important issue, we pay a consequence. We lose a little bit of ourselves. I lost little bits and pieces of myself over the course of nearly three decades. The awesome news is that I was finally, over time, able to find my voice and myself, and in doing so, my power. But it was quite a journey. I started training this martial art in 1987 and dove right in. It was so much fun. It was so great in so many ways. I loved what I was learning. I learned to throw big guys over my back. I learned to get thrown to the ground without getting hurt. I learned to fight fiercely and with everything I had. I learned to hit and to hit really hard. I learned a whole series of physical defenses against attack that we call holds, 108 of them. I learned how to do them blindfolded in under six minutes. I got muscle memory. I learned to teach women self-defense. I learned I could control my adrenaline, my heart rate, and my core body temperature. I learned I could do big things I never thought I could. I found out I could break concrete with my hand. I could sleep standing up, walk across hot coals. I learned to work within a group. I learned all sorts of things about the human body and body mechanics. And I learned with great, great joy that I was born to teach. A huge piece of this puzzle, a huge reason why I stayed in as long as I did was because it was so dang fun. Also, I got to belong to a community. I loved that we did things together that were hard, that we felt so connected. We bonded over these exhausting long weekends where we did things that would take us to our physical limits. We participated together in rituals that were both beautiful and quite odd. We did things it was hard to share with folks who didn't train with us. Things like walking over broken glass and fire, long exhausting tests that lasted 24, 48, and then 72 hours. We successfully completed projects that seemed so insurmountable, but we did them and we did them together. So before and during and after all of these feats and challenges and exploits and crazy, wonderful things that we did, my teammates and I would debrief and we would laugh and we would process and we would learn and we would share. And there was this beautiful camaraderie and belonging and we all grew very, very close. It felt like we were making a difference in the world. Again, that's what we were told over and over. And the fact that it was fun was such a bonus. There was a lot of dysfunction, and for sure more and more red flags. Here are a couple of examples um, how I bought in and how I broke through. Again, my story, I am not speaking for anyone else. Here's my first example. I worked for my teacher for about four years, and by the last year, I cried nearly every day. People, this is a red flag. (laughs) For a while, I was okay with getting paid less than minimum wage. I was okay working several other jobs in order to be able to work for so little to support my teacher. That's how I rationalized it. I finally did get a raise to minimum wage, but a year into this job, in addition to the 40 hours of work, I was also at the school teaching martial arts and self-defense evenings and weekends for free. 
I had to work several jobs. I cleaned a ton of houses and I had jobs serving at a couple of restaurants. So I was working seven days a week just so that I could make ends meet. Towards the end of this four years, I was exhausted, which makes sense. And by then, I'd become an emotional punching bag for my teacher anytime and every time things didn't go the way they wanted. If we didn't make enough sales that day or that month, I was told it was because there was something wrong with my energy or I was trying to sabotage the school. If there was a disparaging article written about our school, it was because I allowed or I invited this to happen, for sure. If nothing else, I was told I was the catalyst. When they were having a bad day, I got yelled at, I got belittled, and knocked down a pig or two or three. Make no mistake. I permitted this person to treat me this way. I tolerated it at first because I kind of thought it's what I deserved. I really believed it. I continued to allow it, allow it because in some ways it just felt really familiar to me. Ultimately, I asked for a raise, just $1 an hour. I even promised to continue all the volunteer teaching. I was told by my teacher and their henchmen that this was not going to happen. How dare I request a raise? So inside me, after a lot of internal debate and a lot more tears, I decided to quit. It might, <laughs> it might be really hard, really. This might be hard for you to believe, but that was a very difficult decision for me. I hope that you're seeing the red flags here because they are everywhere. When I quit, I also decided that I should stop training, for a little while at least, because I was so confused and I felt so betrayed. I obviously needed to figure a few things out. In the meantime, I was completely purged from any and all mention at the school. I was excommunicated. Most of my teammates, except for like one or two, stopped talking to me. It was as if I had never existed. This was not the first time this happened in our system, and I was not the first person this ever happened to. For sure, over the years, anyone and everyone who'd spoken up or who'd talked about things not being right, who had questioned the teacher, they were also excommunicated. I understand this practice continues to this day. Fast forward a little bit, and I ended up going back to train, but not until I was clear within myself that I wanted to pursue my own training in this art because I loved it and I was getting so much out of it, and that I would train in spite of my teacher. I would have as little to do with them as possible, and when they tried to use or abuse me, which I knew they would try to do, I would speak up. And I knew, and it was true, this became a great training ground for me in terms of being able to see reality and the ridiculousness and the extremity of the requests that I was asked to do. It was great training ground for me in terms of setting clear and firm boundaries because not only would I have to send a, set a boundary, I would have to set that exact same boundary over and over and over again because this person was very persistent. I also 
got great training in learning to trust myself more and more and more, to stop worrying anymore about what anyone, even someone who had power over me and who could control the rate of my training and promotions, that it was none of my business what they thought of me, that I was training because I loved it and I loved what I was learning. All of this leads to a sense of groundedness and empowerment. By this time, there was lots of other weird stuff going on. And here's example two. My teacher's teacher by this time was asking regularly for money. This started years before, but it got worse after they'd made a huge investment in a large piece of property. We were asked to invest or loan or outright give money. We were cajoled and pressured and shamed and guilted into buying and participating and investing in workshops and trainings and weekend-long events. Sometimes the classes and workshops didn't even happen because the teacher would no-show. And yeah, no, don't ask for your money back, by the way. I want to tell you about my part in all of this and how I was finally able to get out. But before I do that, really quick, I want to talk about cults. What is a cult or what is a cult-like leader? What can we look for? What are the signs? What are the red flags? There's um, an institute called the Cult Education Institute. It's a nonprofit, I would say kind of like a library that has lots and lots of archived information about cults, sort of a nonprofit clearinghouse of all things cult. Um, I will link you to it in the description of this episode if you want to check it out. But according to them, there are 10 warning signs of a potentially unsafe group or leader. And I'm thinking about this from my own perspective, yes, but think about this from yours. Are there any people or organizations in your life that you can connect these behaviors to? Are there any people you know and love who might be connected to people or organizations that behave this way? For sure, I think we can look at our society and say there seem to be an awful lot of people affected by a charismatic leader doing a lot of manipulation. So there's that as an example. But here we go. Let me tell you about this list of warning signs. So be thinking, be thinking. Number one, absolute authoritarianism without meaningful accountability. Number two, no tolerance for questions or critical inquiry. Number three, no meaningful financial disclosure regarding budget or expenses, such as an independently audited financial statement. Number four, unreasonable fear about the outside world, such as an impending catastrophe, evil conspiracies, persecutions. There's number five, there's no legitimate reason to leave. Former followers are always wrong in leaving. They're negative. They're evil. They're excommunicated. Number six, Former members often relate the same stories of abuse and reflect a similar pattern of grievances. Number seven, there are records, books, news articles, or television programs that document the abuses of the group or the leader. Number eight, followers feel they can never be, quote, good enough. Number nine, the group 
and or the leader is always right. Number 10, the group and or leader is the exclusive means of knowing, quote, truth or receiving validation. No other process of discovery is really acceptable or credible. What was going on in my martial arts arts systems ticks off all of these boxes. Rewind a minute or two and listen to that list again. Think about it. Does any of this sound familiar? If so, red flags, there might be cause for concern. The Cult Education Institute also has a list of warning signs we can use to spot people who might be involved in or with unsafe groups or leaders. So if you're a concerned friend, number one, extreme obsessiveness regarding the group and or leader resulting in the exclusion of almost every practical consideration. Number two, whenever the group and or leader is criticized or questioned, it's characterized as persecution. Number three, dependency upon the group or leader for problem solving, solutions, and definitions without meaningful reflective thought, a seeming inability to think independently or analyze situations without the group or leader involvement. Number four, hyperactivity centered on the group or leader agenda, which seems to supersede any personal goals or individual interests. Number five, Anything the group or leader does can be justified and rationalized, no matter how harsh or harmful. Number six, former followers are, at best, considered negative or worst, evil, and under bad influences. They cannot be trusted, and personal contact must be avoided. Again, there's that excommunication. Also, in the description to this episode, I'm going to link you to the Glennon Doyle podcast, We Can Do Hard Things with Glennon Doyle. She has two episodes that are uh, an interview with Sarah Edmondson about her experience within the cult of Nexium, which are really great really great conversations. So look for those. And if you haven't heard those yet, take a listen. It's part one and part two. Very valuable insights. All of this is very complicated. So back to my story. I was still trying to figure it all out. However, by then, my husband and I, who ran our own school, had begun to distance ourselves from both our teacher and their teacher. We saw it as the toxic stew that it really was becoming. There were just too many, quote, shenanigans, as we like to call it. And we felt our top priority was to keep our family and our students safe. The ultimate breakup of this martial arts community happened when the head of our style, our teacher's teacher, was indicted on tax fraud. By then, there was so much dysfunction that there was no way this would create anything less than an implosion. I'm telling you, I played a role in all of this. What these teachers and most of the highest ranking students did was absolutely wrong. But I want to be clear that I am not all about the blame. Yes, what they did was wrong in so many ways. The blind devotion, the lack of spine, the turning the other way, the repeating of lies, the conspiracy theories. But I played a role here too, and this has to be part of the story that I tell you. 
it's directly related to empowerment and self-defense and the journey from the shame into the empowerment. By the way, I've only heard one of the highest ranking students take any accountability for their own actions, only one. I think that's really telling. This stuff is hard. As for me, here are some things. Like, I was quiet when things were obviously wrong. I did not speak up. I ignored the voice in my head and the messages from my body that something was deeply amiss. As you know, in Empowerment Self-Defense, we talk about this all the time. Your body, our feelings. This is our first line of defense. And I always say, trust yourself. And there I was, not trusting myself. The irony that I was remaining quiet and ignoring the voice in my head while also teaching martial arts and self-defense is not lost on me. Believe me, I see it. I get it. In fact, being able to stand in front of a group of students and teach from a place of authenticity and honest honesty, actually, I think that was part of what really helped me face up to what was going on because I wanted and I needed to be able to look my students in the eye and at myself in the mirror. And I think this was a real game changer for me. Another thing that really helped me was being a mom. I had these two beautiful beings under my wings and the amount of conflict I felt was directly affecting my ability to be a good mom, to be fully present. There was also a lot of strife between my husband and I as he got promoted over me time and time again. I was running our school and doing most of the teaching, but within our martial arts community, everyone called it his school, and he got all the kudos. And undoing the damage that all of this stuff had on my family, it took a lot of time, and I am grateful every day that we have come such a long way and have been able to emerge together, all the stronger and more connected, but it was not easy. All along the way on this journey, I rationalized and justified things that did not align with my value system. Red flags, people. I made up reasons why this was happening, how it was okay just this once. Or like one time my teacher lied to one of my teammates and I saw them. I heard them lie. Later, when I asked them about it, I was yelled at and told I misunderstood, I misheard, and to mind my own business. Another time, at a big workout, I was told afterward that the workout was perfect except for my terrible energy, which nearly ruined the whole thing because I was obviously trying to ruin it. But it wasn't ruined because the savior, my teacher, was able to counter my negative energy and became so exhausted in doing that. I over and over believed them over me and I shut my thoughts away. I sucked up, I pandered, and I submitted to people who had power over me, some of whom were incredibly mean and abusive. I told myself I trusted them When I didn't, I told myself this was the way they showed their love. People, 
red flags everywhere. And I was feeling so uncomfortable and in such denial. I had to dig really deep and for a long time to climb out of this bullshit and into the light of reality. I had to face things like my low self-esteem, my thinking errors, and all the various ways that I had supported the dysfunction, the ways that I had played a role in hurting and harming others, people who I loved, and admit to things that were really painful and really, really hard. I turned my head when things happened that felt wrong. There were ethics violations left and right. I had to face up to the truth. I participated. This was not easy. I allowed myself to be disempowered. I allowed myself to stay befuddled, vague, and unclear. I had to wake up and look at reality and face what was actually, honestly happening. I had to be honest about my relationships and finally speak my truth. I reaped huge benefits from all the training and from all the fun and empowering stuff I got to do. And I still have a few relationships from those days that mean so much to me. And all through the many trials and the tribulations, I got to walk through the muck and the mire and the fire to a place that feels grounded and powerful and real and is so worth it. Cults are everywhere. There's QAnon, Nexium, Scientology, the children of God. There are cults within conspiratorial culture. There are cults in churches and spiritual groups. There are people who are charismatic, narcissistic, and manipulative. They're all over the place. People get stuck in these systems and with these leaders, especially when we're vulnerable. Maybe we grew up in a dysfunctional family system believing that we're not good enough. Maybe we grew up with violence and trauma, with narcissists and gaslighters. Maybe we were raised in an addictive family system where we're told one thing, but we watch something else happen. There are all sorts of reasons people become vulnerable to cults and cult-like systems. What I'm asking you to do is to be honest with yourself, to think through the ways, if any, that you pander or submit to people who have perceived or even real power over you, to think through the ways, if any, that you engage with people who are narcissists, manipulators, who threaten you or treat you horribly or abusively. Read up on cult leaders and cults. Listen to the podcast that I am going to link you to. Check out the Cult Education Institute. Think about the ways you might blindly follow or rationalize following someone who's a charismatic leader or who has power over you. If you have friends or family members you're worried about, talk to a professional and get some support. There are so many resources for helping break free of the chains like this that bind us and those that we love. You're worth it. Your peace of mind, your life, your family, it's really, 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 really worth it to do this hard work. It's the work of empowerment, and I believe in you.
Thank you so much for listening to my story. It's affirmation time. This is how I end every self-defense class. It's kind of cheesy, but it's very cool, and this is how it works. We're going to do like a little call and response. If you can say this out loud, if you can repeat after me, do it, because it's important, I think, for you to hear your own voice. But if you can't, like if you're on a crowded subway or someplace where it's embarrassing, don't worry. You can also just say it inside your head. Okay, so I'm going to say something and you're going to repeat it after me. I'm going to give you space to do that. And at the end, we're going to say yes. Here we go. Repeat after me. I am worth protecting. I love myself. I belong. I deserve to take up space on planet Earth. I am a strong and powerful person. Yes! Woohoo! And hey, as a wrap up, will you do me a favor? Will you do all the things that you do when there's a podcast? Like, will you tell your friends? Will you subscribe? Will you come back each week? communicate with me, review this podcast, like all those things to help get more bandwidth, help more people find out about it. That would be super awesome. Take a deep breath. You are amazing. Thank you for being with me. See you next time.